Hello and welcome to the Men's Health Matters podcast. I'm Rob Klein from the Freemasons Foundation, which has proudly partnered with the University of Adelaide to create the Freemasons Foundation Centre for Men's Health. The centre supports young scientists who are dedicated to undertaking research, addressing some of the biggest health issues important to men. So far, we have produced hundreds of research publications and initiatives which make a difference in everything from depression and sexual health to heart disease and prostate cancer. The Men's Health Matters podcast series showcases some of our current research which is aimed at advancing the health and well-being of all Australian men. Today, we'll be hearing from Kutsi Kanuto, an aspiring young man who, through his PhD studies, is giving a voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men in order to empower change in how health services are delivered to benefit them and their communities. And here is your host, the enigmatic Cameron Giss. Thanks, Rob. Kutsi is a Torres Strait Islander from Cairns who is dedicated to improving the health and well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men. He has a bachelor's degree in Aboriginal studies with honours from UniSA and is currently working towards his PhD, which focuses on the utilisation of primary health care services by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men. Unfortunately, these men have a disproportionately higher risk of cardiovascular disease, depression and psychosocial stress. And this podcast gives a great insight into some of the issues surrounding this problem. Anyway, that's enough from me. Let's jump into the interview and hear from the man himself. I'm here with my main man, Kutsi Kanuda. You heard it. How are you? I'm deadly, thank you. Well, yourself? I'm very good. I'm very excited to talk to you today about um, what you're doing in your research. Lucky you. Yeah, lucky me. Um, just to start off with, would you be able to talk a little bit about yourself and your history and how that has led to doing a PhD in the area of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men's health? Yep, well, um, I'm a Torres Strait Islander. I'm born and bred in Cairns, far north Queensland. Um, spent most of my childhood and early adult life playing rugby league, chasing the NRL dream, so to speak. And um, once that all finished, I um, didn't have a lot left, so I had to try to use my brain instead of my brawn. And that's how I got into university and started off doing sociology, ended up getting a degree in a bachelor's in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies, then um, got into a high degree. Yes. How did you end up in research and why? That just really appealed to me. And so to... Um, the ability to affect change, no matter how big or small, but just change when it comes to your own community. That you know that got me going. Yeah. So I um, went about trying to work out what I could do, and it happened to be with men's health. What is your research focus? Oh, my research focus is on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and barriers and enablers to service utilisation, mainly primary healthcare service utilisation. Um, and the whole thing is about, for me, is trying to better understand the experiences of the men accessing these services, for good or for bad, why they go and why they don't go. 
And, and why is that research important? Uh, it's important because we need men to be in control of their health, to look after themselves, and to pass that knowledge and respect of oneself onto their children, specifically the young, young boys who are the future of you know, male society. So it's very important for that to occur. We need, you know, it's always good to prevent something at a preventable stage than to try and cure something that's full-blown and, you know, out of control. It not only is no good for the person themselves, their family, the community, it's no good for the money. So it's very important. And the way to do that is to get men through the front door of your health service or your GP to get checkups, stay on top of their health, and pass that message on to others. That's why. Would you be able to give the listeners a bit of a background in this area and talk about why it's important? Yeah, anecdotally, we are um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men are chronic underusers, underutilizers of primary healthcare services for various reasons. From being too shame about taking your ailment to the doctor and getting it looked at, to being frightened, scared of the results of what the doctor might say, and just not enough education around, you know, the benefits of visiting your health services or your GP and getting regular checkups. So you talked a little bit about the barriers. Um, so you mentioned shame, um, a lack of education. What are some of the other things? Yes, in the Torres Strait, we have a thing where we say someone's half sick. And when you're half sick, you don't want to really go to the doctor because the doctor might send you to cans for further checkups and whatnot, and then you might not come back because you're sick, proper sick, something's really wrong with you. So it's a real fear of the unknown. Um, in a remote community like the Torres Strait, to be sent away from your family, to go to see a doctor, get checked up, you know, it's stressful for the family, it's stressful for the person who's getting sent away, and if you're getting bad news, you know, it's, it's it's terrible. People got to fly down from cancer. We're looking at the financial cost. Just, you know, just when you were, thought you were half sick, but you were really sick, you know. Racism, you know, not wanting to go to the health service simply because, you know, you're looked upon differently. You feel like you're being talked down to instead of talked to, you know, and discussed with. Yeah. Yeah. They're... They're pretty much the, um, the ones that are being echoed throughout all my interviews. Oh yeah, and the men are crying out for gender, the gender-specific service. So somewhere a man can go and feel like a man, you know, or doesn't you know his masculinity? I don't like the word, but where his masculinity um, is not confronted, or where your ma masculinity is not. Well, it's not threatened. Well, your masculinity is not threatened. I thought, actually, I actually did think that uh, confidentiality would be a major issue for the men. But I found that throughout the interviews we've been having, that some men have touched on it, on confidentiality. Uh, but it's, it's not a big issue as 
uh, the fear, the shame. Is there any significant history to this area of research? Um, and what has been happening in the field? Yeah, it's, um, the reason I'm doing it is simply because there's a lack of research done in this area. Um, like I said, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence where people tell you about it. Communities and health services can actually see that nothing's occurring, men aren't turning up, but we don't know why. We don't know um, where it might be better, where, what services are doing well. So there's a very, there's a lack of evidence-based research out there into Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander men utilising primary healthcare services, and it has to change. We need to be able to fix problems before they manifest into big problems. Yeah. So you talk about a lack of research being done um, in regards to the to the field of research, even though it, it, it is small. Are there any conflicts or debates in this field? Um, a lot. The only conflict that stirs me and gets me going is people telling me that the men have to change, that the men have to conform to what the health service and what policy has been telling them to do, when in fact it's the health service that needs to conform to what the men require. I've said many times before that you can have the flashiest service with the best doctors, great team of health workers, all the programs under the sun. But if the men don't walk through the front door, it's completely worthless. Um, we need to get these men to walk through the door, to want to engage, and the only way you can do that is by asking the men and then conforming your health service around it, not vice versa. So in regards to your, uh, in regards to your research and your PhD, What's that one thing that you really want clarified, that you want answered? Yeah, what I want answered or what I want to find out is I need to, under, I need to better understand the barriers and enablers to health service utilisation for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men. Um, well, the best way to approach anything like this is through qualitative research. Um, I'm using a semi-structured interview process to talk to the men. I have a couple of key questions that I ask every man that, that I interview. And from there, it's really a, whatever the men want to tell me, I'll let them go. Um, because they're the ones with the information. They're the ones that know what's going to take for them to walk through the front door. So it's... You know, qualitative is the way to go with that. And so, this far into your PhD, um, what have you found? And there have been some common themes coming through. One of them being that as a child, when they were younger, it was a female that was responsible in their family for the health of the family. For instance, it was either the mother that took the children to the health service or hospital, or auntie or grandparent. Uh, there's only one occasion so far where a participant has told me that it was both their mother and father who were responsible for the health of the family. So, as you, so what we see in there is it's a generational thing going on where 
it's all around the woman. Uh, the woman's in control of health. The woman um, is the one responsible for these young people going to the doctor and whatnot. And we need to change that. We need more men to be more responsible and take more ownership on the health of their children and the family. It, and then you've got to remember also, like, in some cases, it was because the father was always away working. So he was never around to be able to take the child to the doctor and whatnot, or get their needles and stuff. So, and that can't be helped. But if you see that as a child, if all, all you can see is, well, for instance, in my own life, my own mother was the one that did that. So I just thought it was commonplace. The woman took the kids to the doctor and whatnot. And that's why you can see doctor surgery set up, even today, with women magazines, children's toys, and very sterile environments. Um, yeah. Yeah, so the health services are very much uh, tailored towards, towards women and children, um, and not, not so much as we need them to be for men. So, so what's the solution, Christy? Well, I knew the solution, and this would be a quick PhD and quick podcast, but um, I think another, getting back, not so much a solution, but another finding we've found is that um, the men are all crying out for a gender-specific service, a place where men can go and feel comfortable going to and being inside and getting seen to health service. Um, another example, in Adelaide here, I went to a health service. This is at the start of my PhD, so this is a part of the reason why I've angled towards primary health care service utilisation. But for the whole time I walked into this health service, to the time I left, it was all females. It was all women. Um, there was kids' toys and stuff on the ground. Um, in the area, not like just strewn everywhere, it was on the ground. And there was magazines, Women's Day, and I'm sure, if I looked at the television, I could see Carl Stefanovic or someone, that Lisa woman, talking jibber-jabber. And it was really, it hit me that, you know, well, this is not an inviting place for a man. Not, a, not at all, you know. And I'm someone that grew up in a little town, but, you know, I consider myself to be pretty city-savvy. So I, and I wonder immediately, how do these countrymen, these blokes from remote communities, how would they feel going to a health service like this? They would never walk through the front door. You know, it's not welcoming at all. It's nothing, nothing set up for men whatsoever. So, and that's where I thought, you know, I'm gonna have a look at this a bit deeper and through my interviews and the men's information I've been sharing with me, um, I can, fully understand why we need gender-specific health services. So, yeah, in, in, in reference to gender-specific health services, what would they look like? Well, they would look like... Okay, but that, what would they look like? They would look like a standalone service where, for men, where a man could just walk on in. There'd be a male receptionist, male health worker, going to see a male doctor, other men inside waiting to be seen and whatnot. Um, you know, there'd be sporting magazines or you know just more tailored towards the men. 
Uh, there'll be no Carl Stefanovic or Lisa whatever on the television screen. There'll be reruns of some football of the weekend's footy. Um, and it, it'd just be more welcoming for a man. You know, you t- to be able to walk into a place, A, feel comfortable, and B, know that these men have the same bits and pieces that I, I do as well, so I'm going to share some information that I would never, ever share with a female. And let's get the job sorted, you know. Um, you also, as a man, you're able to break down barriers. You, can, you know, the doctor can just look at you and just, you can have a laugh, you know. You can uh, see someone you know in the waiting room. Hey, how you going, brother? What's going on? How's things? How's the family? You know, the other. With the health services that these men are trying to utilise, they get none of that. They get none of that social, that com- camaraderie, whatever it's called, you know, men bonding, none of that. There are. Uh, services that they're actually accessing now are, are not meeting the needs of the men. Uh, in Darwin, there's a service called Dinala Dilba. They actually have a dedicated gender-specific service for men. That is, the health service is run by men, coordinated by men, doctors are men, health workers are men, people that visit are men. It's in a separate block away from the, uh, the other health service. Uh, and they are, are they doing wonderful things. Uh, I'm actually going out to visit them next month to discuss why they're doing so good and why they leaps and bounds ahead of you know society basically when it comes to this sort of gender specific service. Yeah, and so you believe that it's also an issue for you know white men as well. Yeah, there are many um, issues that are. Solely Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, and that goes on to the colonisation and the distrust with um, non-Indigenous authority, that including doctors and nurses and hospitals. But as a whole and in general, the um, the majority of problems that are faced by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men accessing and utilising primary healthcare services are exactly the same as non-Indigenous men. Um, which in therein lies, you know, there's a there's a key there, there's a there's a sign that, hey, you know, if we can get over the colonisation, the colonial fear that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men are some still have with them, if we can work out how we can better if we can work out how we can better make things better for these men um, the rest of the issues are very much man based issues you know um, yeah black, white, blue, brindle whatever colour you are if we can just and I suppose that's part of the research as well you know is trying to work out what is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander specific and what is just men in general specific and hopefully we can work work that out. We spoke to Director of the Freemasons Foundation Centre for Men's Health and Senior Endocrinologist Professor Gary Witter about whether non-Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men are also looking for dedicated men's health services. Um, Kutsi's research is telling us that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men are calling out for 
a dedicated men's health service. Um, do you think this is the case for all men or is it culturally specific? Oh, no, I, I don't think that there's a cultural uh, factor in this in as much that we find the same thing in the um, cohorts from the northwest of Adelaide where the men are in the main um, of uh, you know European or English extraction um, 72% born in Australia from you know Anglo-Saxon parentage if you like and the remainder are, are distributed between um, European predominantly origin so I think that this is a bloke thing I don't think that Indigenous men are different. I think Indigenous men have specific cultural considerations, and I think that's true um, for um, a whole range of different ethnicities where you have to consider cultural um, preferences and and sensitivities. But in the main, how men view health and how men um, seek and prefer to use health services and engage with healthcare practitioners, I think that is pretty universal. So both Indigenous men and non-Indigenous men want the, the gender-specific health service, is that what you found? Well, I'm not um, sure whether the health service needs to be gender-specific in on the average, but I think that the approach needs to be gender-specific. So you can say, well, you know, do you need separate general practitioners for men and women? No, I don't think that's generally true, but I do think that... A general practitioner, when dealing with men, should use one approach, and when dealing with women, should use a different approach. Now, there are other um, constraints when it comes to ethnicity, where the men may prefer to be uh, in a dedicated health service, and certainly uh, the environment of many um, health services, general practice, for example, tends to be feminised, although I'm noticing somewhat less so, um, where it's much more gender neutral in in the way it's furnished and the magazines and stuff may include car magazines or um, different sports and fishing or things like that that would have broader appeal. Well, there definitely seems to be a, uh, a universal need to improve GP services to better meet the needs and preferences of men, irrespective of their culture. But anyway, let's get back into the interview and hear more from Kutsi. Um, so what do you see yourself doing in five, ten years in this field? In five or ten years? Well, hopefully we can finish this thing, this PhD, by the end of next year. Oh, mid-next year. And um, I'd like to be able to travel to the communities where they're Indigenous and or non-Indigenous communities throughout Australia, remote, including the remote communities, and just sit down with the health service, maybe evaluate what's going on, where they're actually, how their men, how many men are actually coming through the doors and what they're actually providing, and then get together the men from the community and discuss, hey, how can this particular health service better suit your needs? And then work with them to get to a point where men are coming through their doors and wanting to get checkups and wanting to be engaged with the health service and then go to the next community. What might be good for the community of Horn Island where I'm currently living will not necessarily be good for the community of 
Port Lincoln for the men there and vice versa and throughout Australia. So that there, that's the big job. That would be the big job. Um, but no one's going to listen to me unless we can produce this PhD and have the papers and the evidence out there for people to discuss and get their minds around it. Oh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Kutsi. If people have any questions about you or your research, how can they contact you? My email is kutsi.canudo, which is K-O-O-T-S-Y dot canudo, C-A-N-U-T-O, at Samri, S-A-H-M-R-I dot com. And um, yeah, flick me an email, flick me a complaint, flick me whatever you like. Uh, always happy for a yarn. Always happy to discuss what I'm doing. Yes, and you know, I appreciate being able to um, record this podcast with you. you know, further helps and little cause of it. Um, yeah, cheers, mate. No worries. No worries, brother. Thanks. Just want to say again, huge thank you to Kutsi for uh, for coming on the podcast. Um, the centre wishes you all the best for your PhD and whatever whatever comes next after. Also, like to thank Professor Widow for getting involved in his comments. If you'd like to uh, support the research we do at the centre, um, then please get involved and sign up to the Men's Health Register. It'll only take two or three minutes, and um, as a result, you'll have the opportunity to participate in some of the research that we do here. Um, and also find out some of the latest men's health information. Um, To find out more, just head to our website at www.adelaide.edu.au forward slash men's health forward slash register. Lastly, if you're listening to this on iTunes, um, please subscribe and leave a review. Uh, You can just give us some feedback, let us know if we're doing well or where we could improve. And if you're a man listening to this and you're suffering with a um, a health issue or a mental health issue, um, don't be afraid to, to go and speak to your doctor. Okay, I'll leave it at that. Thanks for listening, guys.